Be sure to follow U Stadium on Twitter and Instagram and follow me on Twitter over at Scarton Radio. That's S Carton Radio. So let's get right back into it as we start every week off with our temperature check. You know, there's a lot been going on in the NBA as we have a little visitor in the background there. But let's first start off with one team. Is this U Stadium? Well, I've heard so much about U Stadium. What a fabulous place for amazing sports content and opinions from people like Sonny, Sonny Carton. Okay. Nice background you have here. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so doing this from uh, my dad's office, he's kind enough to lend us. So let's get right into it, starting with temperature check. There's one team in the NBA that has done something that they have not done in almost 20 years. And they currently are the hottest team in the league, 8-2 and two in their last 10. No team is playing better basketball than them, maybe outside of the Celtics since the All-Star break, and that's the Timberwolves. I mean, this team that has been for so long trying to cling on and find some young stars to attach their fan base to, to run in support for, they finally have found their guy in Anthony Edwards. And what that has done is it's added an entire new facet of the game to a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, who has been putting up pretty good stats for the past five seasons, and a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who they recently brought in to try to command the offense, but he wasn't really getting that much respect when you think about how teams were defending him. Now that Anthony Edwards is in the mix, and now that some of the other guys are starting to step up, which one guy I'll shout out later, Malik Beasley, the Timberwolves are a completely different team, and they're not playing around. I just said it before, but when they got Patrick Beverly this offseason, it seemed like they wanted to set the tone. They wanted to show some of, the, some of their fans that, listen, this season's going to be different. We're not putting up empty stats and losses. We're going to try to get defenders. We're going to try to set the tone, and it's clearly paid off for them as they're having their best season in years. Audio audio cut out. Can you guys hear me? Noah shouting out them Celtics. Yeah, your Celtics are playing pretty awesome too. But, I mean, when you're talking about the Timberwolves, you're looking at a team that the Celtics is not impressive. We ha- They know we have guys in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. They have the front office in Brad Steven. They have Ime Udoka, head coach, who's coaching his ass off. We know what the Celtics have on the table. However, from the Timberwolves, it was a little bit more surprising. And that was something that probably people weren't as accepting in the beginning of the season. That being said, it's a bit of a letdown considering how good Cat has been the past few years, how good D'Angelo Russell is coming into this team, and how good Anthony Edwards is supposed to be. So I expect them to be in the top of the Western Conference for years to come, and I expect this to be the start of very good things for that franchise. As you see on the screen, beating good teams is the ultimate goal, but in a game last night against one of the worst teams in the league in the Thunder, you have to dominate them, and that's what they did last night. Now, another one of the hottest teams in the entire NBA and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, the reason I bring up the Milwaukee Bucks is because they're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They have the NBA's longest active win streak at six games, tied with the Timberwolves. And if I'm Giannis, I'm sitting back watching that game between the Nets and the Sixers last night, and I'm smiling because these teams do not scare him. Now, let's be clear. We're a KD having one size shoe smaller from the Nets advancing off of that buzzer beater in last year's playoffs. But that being said, that's not what happened. Giannis went in, beat KD. Now Kyrie's going to be in the mix. Obviously, he wasn't a part of things in the last series. He's out for multiple reasons. But if KD and Kyrie match up with Giannis in the playoffs, or if Embiid and if Embiid and James Harden match up with Giannis in the playoffs, I'm telling you right now, Giannis is taking that matchup to them. He's the team and he's the guy to beat. They're the defending champions. They're playing great basketball as of late. And as we say often in the NBA and in all sports, really, you have to hit your groove in the perfect time. And that is towards the end of the regular season. And as the playoffs begin to start, 
There's no better time to lock in. There's no better time to start stringing wins together. And this is the time when you start solidifying which lineups and rotations you're going to go to when the playoffs come. We've seen this a lot from the Warriors in past games. And there was a big story about Steph Curry returning to his 12-6, minute format that he had done his whole career. These are the times when you figure out the lineups. You stop messing around, you stop experimenting, and you try to get the nine-man groups in, and you try to get them reps with each other over and over again. No one in the league plays both sides of the ball like Giannis, and that's why the Bucs have been so good in their past 10 games, and that's why no team in the NBA should scare Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, let's move on to the cold part of our temperature check. Now, normally I give three teams in this section, but there's one team in the NBA that's future and outlook is so bleak that's been so bad this season, not necessarily record-wise, that I just have to shout them out for how bad they've been. And that's the Portland Trailblazers. Now, I understand with the injury to Damian Lillard and him getting season-ending surgery, I understand CJ wasn't there all year with some injuries and they just dealt him to New Orleans. So I understand that Portland is by no means in a win-now position. That being said, when you look at the Trailblazers roster, you cannot tell me one thing that you are excited for in the future outside of a budding star in Anthony Simmons. Anthony Simons, excuse me. Now, should they be excited about Anthony Simons? Sure. But by far the league's worst active losing streak in six losses in a row, even the Rockets, who were last place in the West, sitting at 17 and 49, just beat the Lakers, and at least their young dudes are progressing. You got guys like Jalen Green, who was drafted early in this year's draft, didn't start the year as, ha- as well as you hoped he would. And in recent games, he's been killing it. Had his first 30-point game the other night against the Lakers in overtime. The point is, not only do the Trailblazers suck, but as I said, outside of Anthony Simons, there's nothing to look forward to on that team. And Damian Lillard's probably going to leave them within the next few years. As much as he talks about not running from the grind and trying to do it the, the right way and do it the way Giannis and Dirk did, If trying to win the championship is your goal, you can't get it out of the mud if the only other guy on your team that can score 20 points is Anthony Simons, and you got guys like Eric Bledsoe and old NBA vets that just have nothing to do on a roster and have nothing to do with trying to compete for a championship. So that's the most frustrating part of things for me if I was a Portland Trailblazers fan because I just don't see much that this team is going to do to change that. This season's an absolute failure. I expect next season to be an absolute failure. And the Blazers just suck. They got blazed last night, as Splash says. It's absolutely ridiculous. What's good, Roman? Thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the stream so far. But yeah, I'm just fed up with the Trailblazers. I had to give them their own spot on the cold teams and the temperature check today just because of how bad they've been. And I'm glad I got to shout out that. But I do want to be clear that this says nothing about Anthony Simons. By far and away, he's one of the most promising young guards in the league. And he's been able to show that he can do it as a number one option. I see a lot of debates out there comparing Tyrese Maxey and RJ Barrett and who you would rather have. What's up, Landon? Appreciate you for checking us out. As good as Tyrese Maxey has shown to be, he's a third option. He gets third option defensive attention. And that's what separates him from a guy like RJ Barrett in my head or a guy like Anthony Simons. When you are asked to be the number one shot creator on your team and the opposing team comes into every matchup with a full scouting report on how to slow you down, you're not going to do as well. What's up, Eduardo? How you doing, baby? And you see there, most three-pointers made since January 1st. There are some accomplished NBA players on that list, and Anthony Simons leaves them all. So that's the one bright spot you can hold on to. 
every single Portland Trailblazers fan should go buy an Anthony Simon jersey because that's really the only dude you're going to be coming to games to see in the next year or two. And now let's move on to the biggest story probably in the NBA because it happened last night. What's up, Liam? And that is everything Nets versus Sixers. Not only last night, but future outlooks. And, and I want to say one thing first. I do not blame James Harden for leaving. But when you have a track record of choking in big games, and you as the team, the fans of Philadelphia, your own coach, keeps talking about this game on March 10th that was supposed to be built up as a crazy playoff environment, and then you choke? You go 3 for 17? It's inexcusable for Harden. And the sad part is for Sixers fans, which they'll begin to learn, that's more the standard for Harden. It is more normal for him to choke and go 3 of 17 in a big game than it is for him to perform well. Sixers fans went from a guy who won't take a shot in the game to a guy who won't make a shot in a big game. It's hilarious. As a Knicks fan who grew up in Philly, it's hilarious to me because I get to make fun of all my other friends there that I grew up with that so dearly support the Sixers. But when you think about the fact that Harden made a decision to improve his basketball chances of winning a championship, and that decision to him meant leaving Kevin Durant, that has to say something about a guy. And when you have two of the worst field goal percentages in a game returning to a former team, by the way, that is an awesome cherry pick stat. Worst field goal percentage in first game versus a former team with a minimum field goal attempts in the shot clock era. That's pretty funny to me. But you can't have two of those games on that list and expect people to take you seriously in late games. And what Kevin Durant said in the post game could not be more indicative of how the league feels about James Harden and even the Sixers in big games. He said, listen, they're a transition team. They don't want to run. We outrun them. They're going to fold. And that's what happens. I love Joel Embiid. I think he's the one of the most talented players in the league. But even Joel Embiid is not shown that when he gets punched in the mouth in the first and second quarter, that they can come back and respond with a third quarter, fourth quarter comeback. They haven't showed me how they can do it yet. And the biggest issue that I see with this Sixers team, because let's be honest, they still are one of the favorites in the league and one of the best teams, even though they had an upsetting night last night. Their issue is the way they try to get their points. Embiid and Harden are two of the biggest free throw merchants in the league. And the way the game is officiated, let's be clear. The way the game is officiated today and last night is vastly different from the first 10 games of this season. And what we as NBA fans were promised from Adam Silver that the officiating would lean to as the season goes on. Now, are guys able to get away with the stupid get a guy up in the air and jump into the foul anymore? No. That specifically has been officiated a little more strict. But everything else you see on the screen, 13 free throws in a first or 10 free throws in a first quarter, 13 but halfway through the second quarter, it's ridiculous. And not only Embiid, but Harden trying to do the same thing also. And it just leads us to a point where it's not real basketball. When Embiid going for a loose ball is flopping and trying to get free throws. Same thing with Harden. It's one thing to do it on a shot attempt, but it's a different thing to do it when the ball's on the ground, you're diving for the ball in mid-effort, you flop? I don't understand it. Especially two guys that are as talented as Harden and Embiid are, you would think that they'd have more respect for themselves and more respect for the game to go out there and play the right way, but apparently not. If any of you guys have any questions in chat about the Sixers game or about anything NBA-related, be sure to get to that. So send them in, and we'll get to that at some point. But, man, I just want to see basketball like we remember it. I saw a video a few weeks ago of Carmelo and Kobe going at it in one of the Western Conference final series back when Kobe was with the back when Carmelo was with the Nuggets, excuse me. These guys were going at it. 
hands in the face, hands against the body, and fouls weren't being called. It was much more exciting to watch, and I just really wish we could go back to that. The guy's relying on 20 free throws a game. The dude would be scoring eight points if he didn't have that. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the craziest part about everything last night that I don't see mentioned enough, last night was touted as the Ben Simmons return to Philly, and he did not even play. We're talking about a guy who is unarguably a top 10 defender in the league, has made multiple all-defensive teams in his short career in the NBA. And the thing with the Nets that I see people confusing, everyone's like, oh, when Ben comes back, they're not going to be able to play him late in games. They are not asking they are not asking Ben Simmons to come back and be a scorer for them. They're just not. They're asking Ben Simmons to be a facilitator, to let the guys they have score go score the ball. And the best example of that is a guy like Steph Curry, Seth Curry. Now, Seth Curry has to feel disrespected by the Sixers, just as he was with the Mavericks. Now, at least for the Sixers, they got a guy like Harden back when they traded Seth Curry. But how do you trade Seth Curry if you're the Mavericks and get back Josh Richardson? How does a top career three-point percentage active shooter who is currently one of the guys taking the most attempts on threes in the biggest three-point era the league has ever seen, how does that guy keep getting traded? It seems like every single team he moves on to, they end up regretting it. Now, like I said, Seth, at least they got Harden in return, so it's not as bad of a trade. But do I think the Sixers will play different in a series? Maybe. But the thing is, now that you lose a guy like Seth Curry, you lose the the variance on the, the bench. You lose some of this bench scoring that you can go to when a guy like Embiid and Harden aren't necessarily knocking down shots. That does affect how you can play in a series. And you will see the Sixers start to lean more towards the free throw line, lean more towards these things that aren't as replicatable, replicable in the playoffs. Noah, 100%. Seth Curry is so disrespected. I said it before, I'll say it again. It's one thing when you retire to look back and be like, wow, that guy was an all-time leader in three-point percentage. It's another thing when you look back and that guy was a one of the guys that draws in Petrovic from the 2000s era, where, yeah, he might have been taking four or five threes a game, but he wasn't shooting nearly at the clip they're doing nowadays. It's an entire other story if a guy who is currently, for his career, a leader in three-point percentage but he's still getting passed around the league like a girlfriend in high school or like hot potato. It's absolutely ridiculous. So Splash, Darius Garland for Hooper of the Week. I love that. I would shout out Darius Garland every week, but I've been trying to shout out a guy that I haven't mentioned yet, and I have mentioned him, so I'm going to try to wait, maybe get a few more names in there. But that man's incredible. It's absolutely ridiculous. And what Seth Curry did last night, I hope everyone saw this. He nailed a three. I think it was his fourth three in a row. Or not in a row. I'm sorry, fourth three of the game. Turns right to the Sixers bench, walks him down while staring right at him. Yeah, there's that video right there. Watch. Walks right down the bench. He knew what he was doing. That's that walk. Like, yeah, you see what I just did? You see what you guys let go? That's what that walk was right there. And I love it from Seth Curry. People pointed it out because the game was touted as the Ben Simmons return. We don't really, the, the, the Seth Curry revenge game was so far down the line. But man, KD with the Curry, that, that's a pretty good duo if you ask me. So people need to watch out for both of these teams. But that game to me, now I, I could be wrong here. I could be alone. You guys can tell me what you think. When I watched that game last night, twice as embarrassing is the fact that the Nets right now are sitting in a play-in situation with that much talent on the roster. Now, I understand Kyrie cannot play at home, and that very much does affect your record. 
Because if you don't have one of your best players in half your games, you can't really be expected to win them all. That being said, come on, man. Like, how do you how are you sitting in a playing situation with a guy like Seth Curry, Kevin Durant? These dudes can play basketball. They need to get to it. And as I said about the Bucks, this is the time for the Nets to truly start solidifying their rotations. Will Blake Griffin get five minutes here and there? Probably not. If that doesn't start to happen in the next week, you can make a pretty good inference that he will not be on the court at all during the playoffs because he's not even seeing time in the regular season. So that's absolutely going to be a factor. I'd like to pay attention to Steve Nash and how he tries to get these lineups set in the next few weeks as the playoffs close in. And you'll really see what guys he trusts, what guys he leans to. Maybe some of the young guys like Claxton will get some more run. We'll see. He had a good game last night. The NBA is moving. There's a lot of stuff to get to. And as the playoffs close in, a lot of different changing storylines and just pretty much a lot around the league. And that's one of my favorite things about the NBA and all sports is that no matter what night it is, even if they're playing or not, every single team has something to talk about. At least it feels like that nowadays in sports with social media. There's a million stories posted today about a million different things. But that's let's get to that. Um, I guess it's time. It's time to move on to Hoopers of the Day. Now, like Splash said, Darius Garland, I love him to death, but I've already mentioned him on the Hoopers of the Day segment. So now let's move on to someone who I truly believe, when you look back at the past three to five years of basketball, I'm not sure 70% of NBA fans, or I should say, I'm not sure 70% of casual NBA fans even knows this guy's name or would recognize him on the street outside of his height. And that's Kevon Looney. Now, some people might laugh at me when I say Kevon Looney because of the other impact makers on the Warriors team. But what he's done as the backbone and the front court player in the absence of Draymond Green deserves to be shouted out. Specifically in last night's game against MVP frontrunner Nikola Jokic, in the second half, Looney was pretty much matched up one-on-one with Jokic the entire game, and he held Jokic to seven points on two of eight shooting and 0 for three from three. Now, were the Nuggets playing their fourth game in five days? Sure. Was Jokic probably tired in the second half of last night's game? Sure. But not a lot of guys can put up a one-on-one fight the way he did last night, and he will never get the love he deserves for it because Steph, Clay, Draymond are overshadowing him the young draft picks now and Jordan Poole, Moses Mooney, Jonathan Kaminga, and James Wiseman will overshadow him. But let's be clear. The most consistent guy on the Warriors team outside of Steph Curry the past three to five seasons has been Kevon Looney. And they are not in the situation they are in today without him. Because as the owner has, I can find a tweet about the, uh, the GM of the Warriors, Bob Myers, talking about it. They are heavily reliant on Kevon Looney and his continued health. And if he goes down, they are in major trouble because they do not have someone with his size and his ability to come off the bench. The next closest guy to Kevon Looney size-wise off the Warriors bench is Nemanja Bialica. And he is not fooling anyone on the defensive side of things. So Kevon Looney, absolute shout-out, round of applause. Keep killing it. Keep playing well. And just know you have a fan in me. And if no one else shouts you out on the internet, I got you, baby. I got you. I'm going to get a jersey. And trust me, you're my guy. Now let's move on to a guy that we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast because of his team's success, which she has been a huge catalyst in, and that's Malik Beasley. The Timberwolves are on a six-game win streak, once again, haven't done that in almost 20 years. But I need to read you guys what Malik Beasley has done in the last five games. The dude is averaging 21 points a game on 12 attempts from three per game, 
knocking them down at would be a league best 53% on threes. Let me say that again. He's taking 12 threes a game, knocking down 53%. Now, obviously, some of those numbers are skewed by an awesome shooting performance last night and the night before. Last night, he had 33 in that win against the Thunder. That being said, man, oh, man, has he stepped up. And we talk about it a lot in the NBA. It's such a star-heavy league. But when teams come into the game with a game plan, knowing how they're going to stop a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, knowing how they're going to stop a guy like D'Angelo Russell, knowing how they're going to game plan for an explosive guy like Anthony Edwards, when you have a guy like Malik Beasley who can step up off the bench or even in a starting role and end up give you 30 points, it is massive because of one reason and one reason only. Defenses are going to allow a guy like Malik Beasley to shoot the ball. Now, they might not going forward, but until you've solidified yourself as a legitimate shooter in the NBA, teams will let you shoot the ball because more often than not, you're going to miss. And more often than not, especially from the three-point line, it's going to lead to a fast break going the other way. And we see it time and time again around the league. There are certain players that might score 30 points one night, but if you go back and watch the tape, half of their shots were wide open because the defense is looking at them like this. I dare you to shoot it. They're daring these guys to shoot the ball. So once again, when a guy like Malik Beasley can make you pay for it, it just changes the entire course of the game. He commands more defensive attention. And man, he's been the big reason for this post-All-Star break, Timberwolves push. And he just gives them an entire new offensive set to run around their stars. You can start seeing the run more plays like Floppy, where you can get guys on the wing the ball in open shots to score. You see more plays run like Chicago to get guys the ball. All these different plays get more simplified when you have shooters around you, especially in today's game. Now, another guy who's been shooting the ball incredibly in the past few games, and a guy who, if you had told me two years ago I was going to shout him out as my hooper of the day, I would not have believed you. Because this segment is for esteemed basketball players that are outperforming their expectations and are not getting love for it. And a guy who is outperforming his expectations means that people must think pretty low of him. That being said, this is a guy who came into the league playing in L.A., in one of the biggest markets, so his name was touted probably higher than his basketball skills should have let him to be. But that's Kyle Kuzma. In the six games since the All-Star break, Kyle Kuzma was averaging 26 points, eight rebounds, and six assists per game on 50-40-89. The dude's almost in the 50-40-90 club since the All-Star break. And now, is that who Kyle Kuzma is as a player overall? No, he's not going to average 40% from three. But... Is that closer to who Kyle Kuzma is as a player than we saw in his Laker tenure? 100%. This stretch is better than average, but it's closer to what he's done this season than you may think. Averaging close to 20 points of a game. Listen, playing with LeBron, playing in LA, playing in any of the big markets will always leave a weird stigma around a guy. We'll always think he's getting more attention than you think he is because he's on the big market He's not necessarily playing as well as his name might believe you he's playing. But Kyle Kuzma is nice. He can get his own shot. And now that he's in the on the Wizards, a team that is not watched as close from a night-to-night basis, a team where he might not be as scrutinized, he might feel more free to just go out and play basketball, it can completely change the guy's career. It can completely change the outlook that the rest of the league has that on that guy. And I'm really proud of Kyle Kuzma 
that he didn't let the media and the social BS that he's gotten very much involved in from wearing the pink sweater, from hanging out in some circles with Winnie Harlow and some social media influencers. He clearly has brought some of that onto himself. But man, playing against the Lakers tonight, I'm excited to see what Kyle Kuzma brings back. I'm excited to see him go forward. And he really has shown himself to be one of the more talented, younger guys in the league. Now, is he a franchise changer? Probably not. Is he even a franchise player? Also probably not. But is he a guy that can help you win games down the stretch? 100%. And I love to see how he's grown his game in the past few years from just being a spot-up shooter. And he says it himself. It's just great to be in a situation where I can be myself, do what I do, not dummy myself down. You hear it talked about time and time again about how LeBron turned Kevin Love into a spot-up shooter and how LeBron has some guys spot-up shooter and then they leave LeBron and they end up blossoming. It's not always on LeBron. Certain teams ask certain things of different guys, but you do love to see what Kyle Kuzma has done. And all the young players should take that as a sign that if you start your career out and it doesn't go exactly how you plan it to be, maybe you think of yourself as a scorer and you're not getting as many looks, just keep working. Go to a situation that wants you, where you want them. Go keep working, work your ass off on your game, get in the gym, and the results will begin to show themselves. Speaking of a guy who the results have not shown themselves this year and is one of the most fascinating situations in the league to me, because I always wonder how I would personally take it if this happened to me, but this is the Russell Westbrook situation. Now, I want to be clear. There is no NBA player, maybe player in all of sports right now, that is going through what Westbrook is going through in terms of having such a historic and storied career around the league and now having guys look at you like you're a literal trash can. Let's not forget Westbrook averaged a 30-point triple-double over an entire season. And that man has players, especially young guys, looking at him every single night. Not only like he's food on defense, but like he's a trash can on offense. Like he's a traffic cone. Like he's not adding anything to the game. They're actually begging him to shoot the ball. And it's just something so fascinating to me because I don't understand where the Lakers went wrong. Russell Westbrook has shown throughout his entire NBA career, going back to playing with Kevin Durant, that he has to be the main ball handler on the team. He has to get a lot of shots up in order for him to be effective. He's the second point guard ever to score 23,000 points. Meanwhile, he cannot figure out a way to put the ball in the basket this season. And what does that tell me about what Russell Westbrook? It goes back to what I'm saying about the Lakers and what they're asking him to do. You cannot ask Russell Westbrook to play off ball alongside a dominant ball hander in LeBron James. You just can't do it. And I think the Lakers are beginning to learn that. And they try to bring him off. They try to say they might bring him off the bench. But as I said, again, when you talk about a guy who's considered a top 75 player ever, a guy who won an MVP award here, a guy who consistently has put up some of the best stats in the league and has brought his team to the playoffs on numerous occasions, it's really unfortunate to see. And it really brings us into a territory of how do you criticize a guy who is historically great but is currently playing bad? And you saw it up on the screen a minute ago. Splash put it up. Steph Curry comes out and defends him and says, listen, after his wife is speaking out about the threats she's receiving, about how her kids are starting to hear about it, about how they don't want to show up at home games, it is concerning for me. And it is concerning for Steph Curry as well because these guys are humans. And at the end of the day, what they do on the basketball court should not reflect them as human beings. And I do think Westbrook is a good guy that is getting more than he deserves. That being said, you have to make it clear. And I want one thing to be specific. And Splash, if you could pull it up. 
if we remember just four, I think, wow, already almost five, six years ago, when Kevin Durant left the Thunder after the 2016 Western Conference Finals and went to the Warriors, which was one of the most storied decisions probably in NBA free agent history outside of LeBron's decision, there was a term being thrown around the NBA about Kevin Durant and his cupcake nature. Now, this idea of him being a cupcake was produced onto shirts. They gave out fans signs to hold up in Katie's first game back. Russell Westbrook was a proponent of the cupcake idea against Kevin Durant. Now, am I saying that Westbrook was telling guys out there to go to Katie as a person and go insult Katie's family? Maybe not. But was he complicit in calling out KD in something that could have affected potentially his mental health also? Yes. So I see it a little hypocritical that now, after he was on the dishing end of some of this hate and trying to send social media and send the internet at one of his former players and teammates in Kevin Durant, now he's like, oh, I don't want to be criticized. You can talk about my game, but don't call me Wes Brick because it insults my name. That is another thing. I have been, I don't even like to call myself in the media because I have a literal one millionth of the attention that Russell Westbrook receives on him. But has he not learned yet that announcing to the world what bothers you is the worst possible way to try to stop that thing from bothering you going forward? The NBA fans out there that are saying these things to you, when you give them ammo and tell them, hey, say this thing and I'll get even more pissed off. That's the only thing they're going to say to you, especially when it's something as catchy as Westbrook. Another thing, it makes no sense to me that he would publicly say, you know what pisses me off? Westbrook. Because you know what he was going to say going forward? Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, Nick, we all loved it. We all loved it, man. I mean, what, what else is there to see against guys going at it in high-pressure environments and seeing which guys can handle it? Clearly, KD and Kyrie came out on top last night, both physically, score-wise, and mentally, and how they handled themselves and how that first quarter went after both teams kind of had a weird start going on to begin the game. But, man, I mean, the mental side of sports gets overlooked a lot of times. And when you have a team that might not have the strongest mental leader, that shows itself on the court, and it it really does. Now, we're going to hopefully bring a guest in. Frankie, I don't know if you're in already. Let me know when you get in and ready to come on. We'll bring you in to get uh, get some topics on what we're going to talk about going forward regarding the MLB finally returning in the NFL trade season. Before we get to that, if anyone has any other questions about the NBA, let's get to that now before we move on. Because this is the time for the NBA. As I said a few minutes ago, this is when coaches around the league and teams start to kind of polish out those lineups. They start to figure out who they can trust, who they can go to in late games, who they're going to go to when the starters are out. All these different things that they start to get finalized as the year goes on. And for my next team, a team that, listen, at this point, they have to make a clear decision. Are they going to go forward? Are they going to try to tank and play for a draft pick? What's the plan going forward? And this is the thing that my Knicks and other teams around the league have to figure out. Because as much as we'd like to believe that every team out there tries to win every game in front of them, that's not the way things work, especially in the NBA. So, as Nick says, PSA to Philly fans. The guy you saw last night is a clear and stark warning. That is the guy that tends to show up in the big games. And listen, I'm happy that Sixers fans got a little glimpse of that before the playoffs. That way we're not getting all these think pieces about Harden once the playoffs do start. And they'll already have some disappointment, excuse me, under their belt regarding James Harden. But man, that was 
such a fun game last night. Just from the way it was built up from the fans, from the city, from the way they absolutely collapsed as soon as the ball was tipped. It, it was really just incredible. It was absolutely unbelievable. And man, it just, you, you hate to see it. So, yeah, Nick, let's go. Get in here, Nick. Call in right now. Let's do it. I, I need someone to talk about baseball and the rest of the football trade season with. Hop in here. Come come in whenever. We're going to get to that. But, but while Nick's getting in here, I, I want to say something about Rob Manfred and specifically the MLB and how they handled the entire lockout situation. Because I made a vow that I would not reference the situation until it was over. I would not give it more than five minutes of my time until they had figured out what was going on and baseball was going to be played. This is a terrible message that was just sent to the owners or by the owners and Rob Manfred to the league. And the message that they just sent was, let, let, me, let me be clear. Let me start over with what I said. This was a terrible message that was sent by MLB fans across the league to the owners and the players. Because what it told them was, it doesn't matter what imaginary deadlines you set. It doesn't matter what goes on. If 162 games end up being played, the fans are going to cheer and celebrate and rejoice. What's up, Nick? Pleasure to have what you. What is up? up? What's up, How kiddo? How are you? I'm good, man. I recognize that background a little bit from uh, my time down there for about a year and a half. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. It's a great studio. Got the green screen. Obviously not on, but I love it. it's definitely functional. Yeah. So do you agree with me that what the owners or specifically the fans have done yesterday and today in rejoicing and celebrating that baseball is back has sent a terrible message to the league? Because I don't blame them for celebrating. Obviously, as a baseball fan myself, everyone's excited at the news that baseball is finally back. But I don't know what's going to stop the owners from doing it again five years from now when they can feed you whatever BS they want for weeks, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, the season's back, we're playing all 162, and the rest of the MLB fans act like nothing went on and that it was all dandelions and roses, the whole lockout. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just typical of the way the there's kind of like that friction between the MLB and the players. You know, it's like that in every league. The NFL had some ugly kind of disputes in the past, the NBA obviously – um, but it just seems like the the MLB has had a long, you know, kind of tumultu- tumultuous relationship, if that's the right word. Um, so, you know, both sides want to come out and make it seem like they got the better end of the deal. You know, the MLB is happy with some of the concessions and the players, the union has to, you know, kind of you know hold their head high saying, oh, well, we got the most in terms of guarantees and uh, the most money for the young players than any other negotiation. So both sides are just trying to, you know, come out on the clear, cleaner side of the PR mess that was this past 99 days. Exactly. And like you say, I want to point out that the funny thing to me is we can talk about as if it's just two sides between the players and the owners. But when you think about it, this breaks down into so many different layers from when you think about the players themselves break down into guys on rookie scale deals from guys like Scherzer who are at the top end making millions upon millions. Then you look at owners in small markets and those owners are separated from guys like Steve Cohen. And then you look at the GMs in the league and you look at all these things from the players, from the reporters, from the different news stations themselves. And every single person involved is trying to come out with the right story, the right report. As you said, each side is trying to seem like they're making – they're making compromises and they're giving things up to get baseball played. 
And it just leaves you in such a weird scenario where everything's trying to get everything right. You guys, like as Ryan says, you guys, guys like Jeff passing, getting hacked because you know everyone's <laughs> trying to get the news out there. It was the most expected thing ever. And it's really just crazy. And it's a terrible situation for everyone when all these different people come together to try to get the story right when there's only one story. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it's just unfortunate the way both sides kind of took advantage of the diehard fan. I mean, you know, people like me, you splash behind the scenes, a lot of our fans, um, sports media hosts, we're gonna be there no matter what. We love the sport, you know, despite its ugly warts and despite the uh the greed and everything from both sides. Um, but what they don't realize is that the, they're, they're losing ground on the casual fans or the young fans because of this bitterness and ugliness that's been going on. I mean, if you, you know, polled Sonny, I know you're, you're a lot younger than I am, but you're not even in the age range I'm talking about. You're, you're in college. If you polled, you know, middle school and high school kids and asked them, you know, Hey, how many baseball games do you watch a week? as opposed to NBA or NFL baseball is way behind in these young, you know, the young kids and what they're watching and what they're, you know, cause everybody has the second screen, right? You have your TV that you watch the game, but that's really white noise at this point. Everybody's on their phones when they're watching a the game, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on the U stadium app. And they're talking about, you know, what, what else is on, what else is going on besides for what they're watching on TV. And baseball lends itself to so much downtime and so much nonsense that there is always that opportunity for something else. You know, whereas the NBA, the NFL, they do such a great job of filling time, whether it's, um, you know, your second screen with your iPhone stuff that's being posted. The MLB kind of does the opposite. It's, they don't allow the, you know, with the ban media restrictions on what you can post and share and whatnot. So they have a lot of work to do. I hope they both, I hope that both sides don't think just because they, you know, got through this little ugly period that they're, you know, they're in the clear here. I mean, they need to kind of dust themselves off and take a deep look at themselves and realize that this sport is in some trouble. And just because they'll, you know, they'll open up the gates and they'll have people coming in and spending money and you'll be watching the games on your local, you know, TV networks and listening to the radio. It's a very regional sport. If you're in a city where you don't have a team or if your team is not any good, you're not consuming other baseball games. You're just turning away. You're doing something else. So, you know, if you're an NFL fan, that's not the case. If your team, like take us, for example, we're Jet fans. They've been awful for a decade. And we are still as interested in what's going on around the league as we've been when, when they're a playoff team. So baseball needs to really kind of take a deep look at themselves in the mirror and figure out how they can market this game better and their and their stars to younger generations. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves going through this same situation a few years. And guess what? People are going to move on for good because you're getting an older generation that's, you know, and hate to be morbid, but they're dying off. A lot of older baseball fans aren't going to be here in 10 years. So um, they got some work to do, man. A hundred percent. And I think to me, it starts at the top from not only the, the league's best players, but from the entire league and the ownership standpoint in itself. Like we're saying, the MLB is trying its hardest right now to capture the exact population that you mentioned, the exact age range. The people that are on their phone having the game as the secondary screen, but they're mm -hmm. really on Twitter trying to relate the game to anything else. And I can't explain how bad of a message it is when you're trying to get fans to pay attention and watch the sport 
when some of the top players in the league that we now found out vote uh, voted against mm-hmm. starting the season. That could not yeah. like how is that the message you're sending? That not only do owners want to hold the lockout, but the actual league's players themselves signed off on not playing a full season of baseball for whatever reason, for an amount of money that's so insignificant on the grand scale of things. And it's important to point out, it doesn't really represent the Hall players. It represents the very small minority of guys that are making the money that a guy like Scherzer and Cole are making when mm-hmm. they made that decision to not play the full season. And as I, yeah. as I said, it, it makes no sense. Yeah, and, and and I know Manfred mentioned something about how social media played a different role in this, and he's right. And you know what? Too Too bad. You know, the, the media did a good job, some of them, in peeling back the curtains so the fans could see the ugly, bitter, you know, kind of immaturity that went on in these discussions. And to, you know, to our, you know, I don't want to say to our credit, but, you know, it allowed us to, to place the blame where we felt was right. And they both deserved blame. And it was kind of a, a seesaw where most of the time, you know, I would say 80% of the blame was on the owners until the you know very end where we actually ended up getting a deal where you saw some of what the players were, you know, how immature and selfish they were being. So, you know, they did, they did do a good job and the fans got to, you know, take in information that in the past, you know, maybe in the last CBA negotiation, we didn't get to see because it was, wasn't covered as live as it was. So, um, to our benefit, we were able to kind of see it, take it in for ourselves and make our own decisions on, well, who do we, who should we blame here? You know, we got to see what, what, you know, like, you know, how, how silly some of you know, some of the concessions and how silly some of the, you know, the, the bickering was. So, you know, Manfred's got to wake up a little bit. I know, I know baseball is an old stubborn kind of, uh, you know, basically, an old man's game, I would say, but you know, Manfred's got to wake up a bit, maybe hire some younger people to kind of run some things in the league um, because he's going to be, they're going to be aged out really. I mean, they're going to turn off baseball, young baseballs, you know, young fans to baseball. Yeah. And, and it's so fascinating to me. It's something I, I want to mention as we move. We're actually, I'll ask you this first. The MLB announced that they're going to try out something that the NFL has had lots of success with, with Scott Hansen and the Red Zone channel. Mm-hmm. The MLB announced MLB Big Inning. Is that something that you as a fan would be interested in and you think could maybe work as they try to showcase more of the games around the league and give you something to a similar Red Zone format where you can watch more than one game at once? Yeah, I think it can't hurt, right? You know, it's like if you want action – and there is, you know, bases loaded, no outs in a game that, like, you know, the Cardinals versus the Nationals, um, and and otherwise you really wouldn't care. It, it it it's the MLB trying to bring in the fantasy aspect of it again, you know. So if you got, if you have, well, you're gonna watch every Juan Soto at bat, but if you have, you know, let's say the catcher on the Nationals and he's coming up with the bases loaded on your fantasy team, you're gonna probably tune in and watch that inning. So it's smart. It's a smart kind of play on gamifying the sport anyway. Um, oh, and wow, I just got an alert Joe Buck to ESPN. Yeah, That's massive. That has ramifications for baseball, too. He's been the voice of baseball for the past 30 years almost. So I'm um, sorry to go off. No, off track I actually there, am but... glad you mentioned that because that was what I was going to get right into next. And I actually <laughs> wanted to talk about something that I was swear I was actually going to mention the NFL in something that's so fascinating to me in that. You see it time and time again as the NFL is set as the example in sports and how these other leagues cannot touch the NFL. And it could not be more true than what we've seen in the past four days. 
You have a guy, Calvin Ridley, who's one of the most promising young stars in the league. He has a huge scandal go on about him placing the bet. We all know about that by now. But just within three days later, that story could not be any more relevant from the news that we've seen just three days later. Not only were there two big trades, but now we see Joe Buck going to ESPN to call football games. It just reminds you that football and, and the NFL particularly is the standard. And it just fascinates me how they're always able to stay on top of anything. And I think that does in some form show you that as whatever anyone says about Roger Goodell, he has figured out how to capitalize on the league's success. And it really just is interesting to me. And I wanted to ask you about which of those trades between the Washington football team acquire, or sorry, I apologize, between the Denver Broncos acquiring Russell Wilson, between the Washington football team getting Carson Wentz, and the Chargers trading for Khalil Mack, we've now seen three big players be moved. And that's just what, in the past two days? So the NFL mm. is incredible, and they always dominate the storylines. And man, when you talk about gravity in the NFL, and we talk about it with all these different players, and we saw this playoffs with Von Miller and Aaron Donald lining up next to each other. It's so much harder to stop a guy when you have another guy on the other side of the line that you can't double team. And I think Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa are going to scare teams this season. Yeah, I think that's a great, great move. And and I get it from the Bears' standpoint, too. So, you know, you always want to talk about both sides of a trade because, you know, there's two, it takes two to tango in a trade. And, um, I think the biggest winners in all of this is is I, obviously you want to say Russ, right? Because he's a, a borderline elite quarterback and you know top five or ten in the league, depending on your list. I can, if you want to say he's a top five, if you want to say he's top ten, I'll, I'll buy the argument either way. Um, I think the loser in all of this is the Commanders. I think that was a terrible trade. I think Carson Wentz is a borderline starting quarterback. And for them to not only take the whole contract up, but give up two third round picks. Um, I just think you could have like, tell me what's, and, and yeah, I think Wentz is better than Trubisky, but if I'm Washington, I'll give Trubisky a two year deal. Even if I'm paying him guarantees in the both year and and not acquire Wentz, and I know Wentz doesn't have too 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 much guaranteed money left, so you can always move on from him. But to hold on to those picks and get a guy in Trubisky who sat a year, watched a really good quarterback, and was coached up by a really good coach, um, hopefully hit the reset button on his career and come into Washington with a fresh start. I don't. Not that I'm saying Trubisky is going to be anything special, but do we do we think Carson Wentz is going to be? So I think. It's easier to pick a loser in all of these trades, so I think Washington was. Um, the Mac trade is just great because that division is loading up or is loaded with young quarterbacks, athletic quarterbacks, so you, you need to get after them, and it'll only make Joey Bosa better. Um, and I, I understand it from the Bears' standpoint, kind of clear their books, which obviously they just cut Eddie Goldman, who's a really good interior lineman as well. Um, so, you know, I, I understand that. As for... You know, the Colts, obviously, I, I get that. They're going to probably try and use that ammo to go get another quarterback who's better than than better than Wentz, and we'll see where they go. Um, and then, obviously, the Broncos, Seahawks. The Seahawks can – all right, let, let's, let me say this. I will say, to answer this quickly, Sonny, I'm rambling. I think the Seahawks can be the winners of this trade if, and it's a big if, they're able to turn these draft picks – into Deshaun Watson because I would rather have Deshaun Watson than Wilson age. I think he's better at this point. I know we haven't seen Watson in a year, um, 
the age plays a factor. Uh, but if you can turn around and, and I know, you know, I've spoken to people on Watson's team. He, he has interest. He he would go to a Seattle if the trade was agreed upon. And I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think that they are going to rebuild um, because if you are, you're going to tear it down. You're going to make Lockett available. You're going to make a Jamal Adams available. You're going to make a DK Metcalf available. And it just doesn't seem like they are yet. So I think they have a bigger plan than to go into the elite year with Drew Locke as their quarterback. So I know it's tough to say, let's wait a little bit in today's world to, to make a, an immediate decision on a, a trade, but let's give it another week. Let's see how the Watson, I think Watson is actually in court as we speak. Let's see how that court date goes. Let's see if any of these um, cases are, are, you know, dropped or whatever happens settles here. And let's see if Watson is cleared, you know, to, to play and see if Seattle comes out with him because now I would say he would be the, the, the Seahawks would be the winner in this. Yeah. So many of these decisions are kind of puzzling me, but none more than the one you mentioned about Washington, Washington commanders and what they did for Carson Wentz. Now, if they thought that they were a quarterback away from competing, that's another thing. But as you said, I don't know why they would give up the picks and the capital to get a guy like Carson Wentz. If you also need to improve the roster vastly in other areas. So that was a move that didn't make much sense to me. And you said this, and I see a similar thing with the Seahawks. The Seahawks, they have to pick one way or the other. You cannot trade your starting quarterback and cut your best defender and then also say you're trying to win now unless, like you point out, they know that they have a deal in place for Deshaun Watson who would be a clear upgrade because it just Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense when you're paying guys like DK Metcalf, guys like Tyra Lockett, guys who you expected to be part of a winning football team. And I know for a fact both of those guys want to be a part of winning football. So some of these moves on the stretch, I don't think any of the NFL teams are done. I think some of the moves we've seen do show a lot about what teams think about the quarterback class coming into this year. You've seen rumors about Nate Sudfeld that just confuse you. And it's like, wait a minute. If they think Nate Sudfeld is that, then what what does that say about guys like Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett coming out of the draft? So I think it's going to be something to pay attention to and very interesting as the weeks go on and the NFL season gets closer and closer and as we inch closer towards the draft. So before we get out of here, Nick, uh, if you could answer Antonio's question, do you hear anything about the Giants? I know they mentioned that they might be open to letting Bradbury go or figuring out something else in his direction. Is there anything you've heard from the Giants front of things? Yeah, you know, it's, it's there's a lot of discussions now with the Giants are really approaching some of these guys that they'd like to keep. You just saw with Sterling Shepard. Um, Shepard's in a little bit of a different case because he's rehabbing an Achilles injury, so he really wasn't going to be, you know, let's say they cut him straight up. He wasn't really going to have a big market in free agency. So it was better off staying in a, you know, with a team that he knows and he was able to kind of come to a restructure. I think they're trying to do that with Blake Martinez and he's probably more open to it than a Bradbury would be because you're talking about a cornerback, which is a premium position as opposed to a, probably a two down lineman, uh, linebacker and Blake Martinez is where he's better suited um, so Bradbury knows, hey, if the Giants are gonna, aren't going to pay me, I, if I'm on the open market, I might even be able to get more than what I'm making. So I don't think it's going to be easy to restructure a deal for Bradbury, so they'll probably end up trading him. Um, and I know they've had at least six or seven teams who have called to inquire, um, assuming they're, <clears throat> they're going to trade him. They're obviously the, I'm assuming they're going to cut him. There's obviously low ball offers, but 
they should probably be able to be able to they should probably be able to, to get about a third or fourth round pick for Bradbury. So I don't think he's on the team next year. Um, Martinez, I can definitely see sticking around with a, a reduced uh, salary um, or a restructure where he's you know you add another year and you pay some upfront in a, in a bonus and lower that cap number. So um, that's probably the holdup. You'll see a lot of probably a lot more moves there this weekend as teams, you know, try and hurry up for Monday. And then obviously Wednesday, they have to be under the cap. So probably some Bradbury and Martinez news in the next few days. Well, appreciate that, Nick. Thank you for coming and hanging out here at U Stadium. Sonny Carton Show, thank you for uh, tuning in. And thank you for giving us some insight on all things uh, football and baseball. So appreciate of it. Of course, buddy. Keep crushing it. I'll see you later. Yeah. So in terms of how we're going to get out of here today, I'll give some final thoughts. But listen, I, I love this part of the year, honestly. I know only basketball and hockey are being played right now, but it's a very fun time for news when you can just focus on basketball, maybe just focus on hockey out there. And then in the background, you get little tidbits, little things to just excite you for the upcoming NFL and MLB season. So now, obviously, would I rather all the sports be in session? Of course. But I actually don't mind this little section of the year where not a lot's going on, but a lot of news is being provided. I'll leave you here with what Splash just put on the screen. Who is winning March Madness? Now, I've talked about this many times before, but because I'm a sophomore in college, and last year they obviously didn't have a tournament in my first year, I couldn't root for my own school. But being that the school I attend is in the tournament, I would be remiss if I did not, at least as a joke, say the U is going to win March Madness. Now, do they have the best player on the team in any of the games they're going to play? Absolutely not. Do they have the potential to beat some of the best teams in the country? Absolutely. So who's winning March Madness? If I'm looking for my real answer, I probably lead towards Gonzaga. I think what they've shown the past few years and the consistency of being there, they know how to get it done. No one's really had an answer for Chet Holmgren. He hasn't been as exciting maybe as people expected him to be coming into the year as one of the most exciting freshmen. That being said, I will be rooting for my own school, U-Miami. I hope it's a good tournament. We've already seen so many buzzer beater and awesome moments just from the, uh, the regional and divisional tournaments themselves, or I should say the conference tournaments in the ACC, Big Ten, whatever you have, you Big East. But there is a lot to get to next week. So be sure to tune in. If you did watch today, make sure to like and subscribe to the channel on YouTube and ring the notification bell to be notified whenever U Stadium has any new content on YouTube. Be sure to follow me on Twitter over at Scarton Radio. That's S Carton Radio. And thank you guys for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Sunny Carton Show. Thank you, Splash, for being the best behind the scenes and getting everything up on the screen and making sure everything runs smoothly. We got to a lot today. We talked about a bunch of NBA. We got to Russell Westbrook stuff. Timberwolves, a lot of big teams, playoffs coming up. The Sixers were so disappointing, but that's where we're going to end today. Appreciate you for tuning in. I'm Sonny Carton. This is the Sonny Carton Show. As always, have a great weekend, and I will see you back here next Friday.